Have you ever taken time to think how much we are driven by time? I think because I'm a little older, I'm more aware of time because there are days where I, I am so glad the day's over. Like, yeah, I can get out of the office. Yeah, I know that's hard to believe that a pastor would want to get out of the office and go home. And there are other days that I wish would never end. You've been there. But, you know, God set up time for our good, right? I mean, sunrise, sunset, that rhythm, uh, day and night, lunar schedules, seasons. It is time to rake leaves if you have a yard. Uh, there's clocks. There's one looking at me there. So, yeah, when I go over time, I know that I'm going over time, by the way. Um, yeah, there's cell phones that ding. There are watches. I wear one of those. There are church chimes. Uh, they chime at noon. 12 times, okay? There are times that we're overwhelmed by time. But God, his time's so different. Have you noticed that? I mean, the scriptures tell us that, uh, you know, a thousand years is like a day to the infinite God. Uh, and a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. When you're eternal, we can't even begin to understand that concept. God's timing is so different. Messiah's here. I can hear someone saying that. You know, the, Jesus is here. Messiah's here. Now everything's going to be put right. But yet, first, he has to grow up. He's an infant. And then, first, he's got to teach and he's got to heal. And then, First, he's got to die for our sins so that we can have forgiveness and be given new life in God and, and given God's righteousness through Christ, through faith in him. First, we have to believe that's true, and then we have kingdom work to do, and then God's going to come back. Jesus is going to come back at the right time when the people that he's called believe in him and turn to him. He's going to establish his heavenly kingdom. Yeah, the timeless God's timing is so much different than you and me, because we're creatures, because our time, at least in this life, is very limited, and we begin to feel that. So why do I bring up the subject of time? Because it connects with our passage in Luke today. You may remember uh, when we last looked in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 2, uh, Jesus was just a month old or so, and now he's 12 years old. He's in the temple again. We met him there when Simeon and Anna, when he was getting dedicated to the Lord, they spoke about him, and now he's 12 years old. He's begun to grow in wisdom and stature, and suddenly Jesus, at age 12, is aware of who he is and his calling in life. Why did God the Spirit have Luke write this passage of Scripture for us? Don't you wish you would know what it would be like when Jesus was a little kid? running around, how he played with other people, normal childhood. What was it like? Well, God's chosen to highlight this one special event when he's 12, just on the edge of adulthood. Why did he do that? Because many have declared that Jesus is the son of God. Zechariah did. Elizabeth did. The angels did. The shepherds came and, and saw that it was so. Simeon said who he was, and Anna in the temple, and now Jesus at age 12 says himself, I am God the Son. He was aware of who his father was. 
So Luke wrote this gospel to give us assurance that what we know and have heard about Jesus is true. Others have said it, and now he is saying it himself. He is our great example. We're going to look at this passage a couple times today. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul's epistle letter to the Philippian believers, he writes this about Jesus. Have this in mind among yourselves, <clears throat> excuse me, which is your, which is, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus, this 12-year-old boy, is now becoming aware as he grows in wisdom and stature of who he is. Are you growing in wisdom and stature in who you are in Christ Jesus? Do you know who you are? Do you know why you were sent? Mike, thank you for reading from John 15 because it's right here <laughs> in my sermon too. I chose you. I appointed you to be fruitful. Jesus knew his mission and we are to know our mission. We've been called and appointed to go and bear fruit for God's glory, to do God's work. So if you are a son or a daughter of God today, if you are his child, if you've believed that Jesus is the Savior, then you too are to always be about your father's business. No matter what your business is in this world, whatever you're called to do, you are to be about your father's business in everything we do. So let's get into the text today. The story overview. I love this story. It's kind of fun as a parent looking back on, on all the mistakes I've made as a dad, as a parent, and thinking about what it'd be like raising with Jesus. So let's take a look again. Uh, Dennis read from from Luke chapter 2. Let's read over those verses again real quickly. Just the first two. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. So in these first two verses, the first thing we note here about Mary and Joseph is we see their family values. These are people of faith. And they're doing the right things that God's commanded them to do to raise up their, their children and Jesus, their oldest son, as a godly Jewish young man. Now there were three feasts that the Jewish men were required to go to to Jerusalem every year. The first was Passover. You might remember that's God, Passover happened when God delivered the Israelites from the Egyptian bondage. There was a Passover lamb that was killed and the blood was put over the lintel and the angel of death passed over them. And that happened in the time of March or April in, in the calendar year, depending on how things laid out with the, the cycle of the moon. And then there was the Feast of Harvest. That was seven weeks after Passover. So you can imagine going to Jerusalem, and then seven weeks later, the men were kind of required, if you were going to follow God's commands, to go back to Jerusalem to celebrate uh, the Feast of Harvest. First fruits, that was the wheat harvest time. The day of Pentecost happened during that time. That was mid-May, mid-June. Uh, again, depending on the year. And then there was the Feast of Booths. That was uh, commemorating when the uh, Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. They built temporary shelters 
Some observant Jews still do that. They build temporary shelters in their backyard and they kind of live in them for a week or so. They built those temporary shelters to be reminded of their sojourn in the, in the wilderness, to remember how God took care of them. And they also were celebrating the fall harvest, mid-September, mid-October, just, just past this time of year. So the families then, we see this family values. Families that lived a distance from Jerusalem would get together, often with other people, companionship for protection, to go to Jerusalem for Passover. Nazareth, where Joseph, Mary, and Jesus and family lived, was about three days' journey. So off they went to, to Jerusalem. And going up to Jerusalem, they were there to worship God and to celebrate his plan, his forgiveness, and the plan for the kingdom to come. So Luke wants us just to know in these first two verses, he wants to let us know that Joseph and Mary were raising up a godly son. They had true faith in Jehovah, and they honored the Lord in their obedience by following the Lord's commands. They were taking the right steps to raise up their family, their son, their oldest Jewish son, to serve God. In just one year, at age 13, Jesus would become a son of the covenant. He would have his bar mitzvah. He would have where he would move from childhood into adulthood, and he would be able to participate in all the worship at the temple that the men were allowed to do. Not only do we see the family values, but then we see family dynamics. Look at verse 43. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him after three days. They found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. So were Mary and Joseph neglectful parents? <laughs> hey, they were just humans like us. It's, at age 12, Jesus could have been hanging out with the younger kids and the moms, or they, he could have been hanging out with the older boys and the dads, or they would have thought he was with some of their relatives or some of his friends. You know how that could happen. Mary easily thinking he was with Joseph. Joseph easily thinking he's with his mom. He was there when they left. You know, we don't actually know when Jesus left to go to the temple. We're not given that little detail. But it's, it's kind of fun to think about, but that's not important to the story. Jesus had been so obedient, right? I mean, look at verse 40. It says he was growing in wisdom and stature. It's repeated in verse 52 that, you know, basically he was a good kid, right? Yeah, we know he was a good kid. He's Jesus, the son of God. So why wouldn't he be where we expected him to be? With us. The search. Our daughter, when she was seven or eight, got lost for almost an hour in Ocean City, New Jersey, on the beach. We were going nuts. I can only imagine. See, they were a day's journey away. So it was a day's journey back. And then they searched for him the three days, out of sight, 
kind of interesting, isn't it? Jesus kind of disappeared for three days at the end of his ministry when he was in the grave, out of sight, but busy doing his father's will. Family conversation. I love this. <laughs> Look at verse 46. We'll read. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you, know, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying he spoke to them. So while, well, first of all, Luke always records people's reactions to Jesus' teaching and his actions. He wants us to know that who Jesus is. So right here we see uh, Mary and Joseph know who Jesus is, and yet they don't really know who Jesus is. Just think about that. They are still surprised at what he's doing and what he's saying. So while the temple teachers are amazed by Jesus' wisdom, his parents are upset. Why have you treated us so? Others are impressed, but you know what? Mom and dad aren't so impressed <laughs> right now. Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. The Greek word there is, is a strong word. It's like they were having a panic attack. You can picture it, right? You're a parent. If you're a parent or even not a parent, but you know someone and you're responsible for little kids, if they disappear, there's a panic attack. They were in great distress. They were, great distress. They were affected physically. They were affected emotionally. They were worried sick. They couldn't eat, probably. They were relieved when they found them, and they were angry at the same time. You can picture it if you're a parent, right? Relief and anger all at the same time. And that just leads, it to, leads us, I think, to this point. Living together in God's kingdom, life together, there's implications for all of us here. So if you are parents, or you were parents, or your grandparents, or you're a young and older adult, you're a middle or high school student. Let me ask you these questions. Do you know who Jesus is? Have you believed that Jesus is the Savior? Do you love Jesus? If the answer is yes, maybe it's no. But are you aware of God's will and how he was working out his kingdom in you and through you and around you? Are you aware of what God is doing in you and in and around you in other people's lives? Lead your children, lead your friends to places where God is part of the conversation, where he's part of life. Don't get in the way when your children are pursuing God. Don't ever allow your expectations and dreams for your own life or for your children's lives to get in the way of God's plans for you or for them. Don't ever be afraid to place yourself and your family into the hands of the Lord like Hannah did with Samuel. 
God's kingdom is a treasure. Don't hesitate to invest in it. Young and old, it's for us. And Jesus, our great example, our savior, our king, the one who came to save us, is showing us, I must be in my father's house. I got to be busy with what he wants me to be doing. So Luke really skillfully crafts this story. It's, it's kind of dramatic. You could have a lot of fun with it, right? Like, I, I think I skipped it in my notes. Oh, no, it's next. Jesus' first words. I'm so excited about this, I was afraid I skipped it, right? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, let's be careful. Let's not project a snarly USA teenager into the scene, okay? We do not know the tone of Jesus' voice here, okay? But why were you looking for me? (laughs) Are you surprised that Jesus didn't say, I'm sorry, Mom and Dad? (laughs) Well, maybe there was an apology in there, but... God chose us not to to record it because he wants us to know who Jesus is and what he's about. Let's, yeah, like I said, let's not project a snarly teenager here, but as a parent, I can think of all kinds of answers. Like the finger comes out. We're your mom and dad. We're in charge of you. Who do you think you are, buster? You're grounded for the rest of your life. You know, the things we say. Jesus is misunderstood. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Didn't you know that I had to be about this? But they did not understand the saying he spoke to them. Does that surprise you? That Mary and Joseph, after all these special visitors when he was an infant, after the angels' visits and the angels' dreams and God taking care of them, that they had kind of forgotten in the day-to-day routine of being mom and dad and working and cooking and whatever kind of things happened in that culture, that they forgot who Jesus was, that Joseph and Mary somehow seems to me they missed, they did not perceive fully the intellectual and soul cravings of their oldest son. For God. Somewhere in the day to day, they did not fully comprehend that Jesus was God's Son and that He came to die to be a sacrifice, something only He could do. This is mystery. I mean, Jesus is fully God fully human. He left heaven so his glories veiled in this human body and he had to grow. Like he didn't speak as an infant. He grew intellectually and physically. He he learned to talk. He learned to think. He learned what he was interested in. He experienced everything we do growing up. And we can't fully comprehend all that means this his emptying of his glory, but not who he was, but he did it for us. 
He was growing and he was growing in step with his father's plans for him. And he was becoming aware of it, that he was the one who was coming to save us. I don't even know fully what he, we don't know fully what he comprehended at this point, but he knew who he was and I believe he knew what his mission was. And those who knew Jesus did not fully perceive it. And you know what? Neither do we, right? We can't fully get it, but are you growing in it? We still are learning more and more about who Jesus is and what he does for us and how he guides us. Jesus here is declaring who he is. He's growing in his understanding of God's mission for him. And he was surrendering to his father's will. I must be in my father's house. This is why I came. So let's talk a a little bit more about some practical implications for us from this story. Know who you are in Christ and God's goals for his people. I'm going to call him my friend. I just met Kirk Belmont, but here's how he put discipleship, making other disciples. We have our our, uh, mission statement too. Making disciples who know, love, and serve God in all contexts, in all areas of our lives. That's, that's our mission here as a congregation. And his discipleship is this, becoming like Jesus to help others become like Jesus. It's just kind of saying the same thing a little differently. So what are God's plans for me? It's to become like Jesus. I mean, the scriptures tell us that. In Romans 8, I have a couple verses. For those God... For, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We're to become like Christ. That's God's goal for you if you are a believer in Christ. That's where Jesus is taking us. To put on the new self, it tells us, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, put on the new self created to be like God, to be like Jesus Christ. And there's some other references there I have listed. So God's plans for me is to become like Jesus to think like Jesus, to feel like Jesus, to think about, I gotta be about my father's business. Am I doing that at school today? Am I doing that at work today? Am I doing that in my neighborhood today? To feel like Jesus, to see the crowds and have compassion on them, to act like Jesus when people are coming at you with hard questions and kind of ridiculing you and trying to kill you maybe. How do I act like Jesus? To interact with others like Jesus to, in the depths of my soul, be more like Jesus. How does that happen? How can I ever become like Jesus? Well, it's a journey to Christ-likeness that begins by faith when we believe Jesus is the Savior and he gives us grace and his spirit. He gives us new life to begin to grow and obey him. And you know, there's a cost to following Jesus. I go back to Philippians chapter 2. That's that's a great passage to think about Jesus emptying himself and being a great example for us. But 
But there's a cost to that. So if there's, Paul starts in chapter 2 of Philippians, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That is a tall order. To be like Jesus, to be willing to surrender your will to his. Walking in humility But that's our calling. That's the cost of following Jesus, to be in places where other people love God and the knowledge of God is growing, to be nurtured in it so we can know him better and follow him better. Following Jesus is going to be difficult at times. People are not going to understand why Jesus and his will is a priority in your life. Family members may not understand why you care for other people who you hardly even know, or you're not even sure you like that much, but you love them anyway because they're part of the body of Christ. That's costly. Yeah, I just had a thought. I better not say it. But, you know, the American church, like, we church hop because it's too tough over here, so we go over there. And sometimes it's good to move from here to there. But it's sometimes just we're just lazy and we don't want to love. God may ask you to trust him and move around a lot like Abraham and Sarah. Would you like living in a tent, moving in a strange land from here to there? Having to dig new wells here and there, just wow. Wow but they were following God. And they're happy they did, by the way. Be like Moses. You want to be like Moses? Leading a bunch of people that are stubborn and stiff-necked? That's a lot of fun. You want to be like Gideon? Leading when you'd rather be hiding in a hole and not be involved? Like, let somebody else do it. We're, I'm the least of the least. You want to put your life in jeopardy like Esther? Yeah, you want to be a princess, but not a princess who has to put her life on the line to protect her people. You want to be like Paul because God sent you to people who are unlike you, the Gentiles? Because you're willing to follow God. You believe that Jesus is the Christ. You're doing it as God directed you. That's costly. But just know this, people of God, those difficult paths they may become more and more difficult as you dare to follow Jesus and become more like him. But know this, Jesus is going to be walking with you through it because he's already done it. He knows the way to trust the Father and make it through and bring the kingdom and his glory. Who is my father? Jesus knew his father. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So are you becoming committed to doing God's work in your everyday responsibilities? 
God's kingdom can be done brought here right now through us with our neighbors, our co-workers, our teammates, our classmates, our gym mates. And we need to do it better. Hey, let me ask you a question. I remember being, I was in high school once. Yeah. How do you bring up Jesus in everyday conversation? Again, I'll call him a friend, Del Florio. He's part of the Delaware County Pastors Group. I love what he says. Be a light to those experiencing darkness. Somebody you know close to you going through dark times, just be a light. Bring a word of encouragement. Bring a word of hope. Offer for prayer. Maybe they'll accept that offer to pray for them. Just be a comforter. Just be light in darkness. You can do that at school, at work, in the neighborhood, next door. We can do that with one another. Speak and act normal. <laughs> act normal, what's that? You know, don't, don't, oh God, you know, the, 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 <laughs> oh praise the Lord. You know, you don't have to be like crazy, just act normal. Just, just don't be obnoxious about God, just be normal. And when the time's right, speak about how he's guided you through a similar situation or, or you can relate to them. God doesn't want sacrifice. He wants us to show mercy, to become humbly. So show mercy, show care, be generous, let God work. We don't convert, God works. God converts. Just do what you're commanded to do. And, and remember, it's not a burden it's a privilege to point Jesus to the God who loves them and saved them. It's our calling. It's not always going to be easy. Not everyone's going to appreciate your message or your endeavor to be nice or kind, but that's what you're called to do, and you will be rewarded for it at the right time. So here's the important question to answer today. Who is my father? Jesus, when he was a little bit older, 30-something years old, in John chapter 8, gave a very pointed teaching. The, the Pharisees, the scribes and the Sadducees, I guess, were confronting him. And they said, we're Abraham's children. And he said, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. This is John chapter 8, verse 39. I skipped down to verse 42. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I've come from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character or his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies." But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Who is your father? Are you hearing the words of God the Son? That's a pointed teaching. 
but there's really good news. God the Father can be your father. John chapter 8, we flip back to John chapter 1. In his first chapter, John wrote, speaking of Jesus, he was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God by simply believing Jesus is God the Son. We are secure when we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior. God holds on to us. He makes us his children, and no one can snatch us out of God's hands once we believe and we are made his children. In 2 Corinthians 5, not only are we secure, but Paul tells us we have the greatest message ever to be given. All this is from God, the gospel, who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, bringing people back to their God, entrusting to us the message. Can you believe it? You are entrusted with the gospel. You of all people, me of all people, are to be God's messengers. We're entrusted with it through the power of God to take it out to the world to let people know that they can have life everlasting, that they can be children of God and not, not fear anything, not even fear death, because in death we have life. This is all from God, and we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Who are you going to implore to become a child of God this week, this month, this holiday season that's coming on us soon, Thanksgiving and Christmas? Who are you going to ask God to work in their hearts and to open your eyes to those opportunities when you can be light in their darkness? Are you searching for meaning and purpose for your life? Are you age 12? age 40, maybe you're age 80. You know, Jesus has a plan for those who trust him and love him and surrender to him. He is their God and Savior, and he still wants you to be his worker, to be a busy doing your Father's will. His goal for you is to become like Christ. That's where he's taking you, child of God. That's where this uh, life is going to end, in his presence as a perfect image of Christ. His plans for us, wherever we are, no matter our age, is to help us help others to become like Jesus, too. We're always to be about our Father's business. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for leaving your glory to come here, to serve us, to teach us, to lead us, to die for us so that we could have life everlasting, so we could have your righteousness, so we could have hope, so we could be your friends. Jesus, you are faithful. 
You're faithful to your word and to your people. So, Lord, help us to continue to believe you. Do a mighty work in us. Make us more like you. Don't stop working in us, we ask you. Give us hearts that are ready to believe and trust you. Help us to be faithful, whether we're 12 or 40 or 80 or more. Lord, for your glory alone, we ask this all in the name of Christ. Amen.